And if you're afraid of the machines taking over, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan, that is Jeff. It's time for Fear Factory. I think they're onto something, dude, about machines taking over because, like, I was talking to somebody the other day about a certain type of beer I liked. And, like, I was doing it, like, in person. Like, we were talking about beer, like, face-to-face. And then as soon as I got on Facebook, I had an ad for, like, for that specific type of beer. So that means your uh, your phone is eavesdropping on you? They're listening. But who's listening? In your case, it would be Apple. It would probably be Apple. And Google. But Facebook. I mean, they could all be run by, like... Machines? Securitrons. Securitrons. Yeah, man. I'm voting for Complex. Because, you know, he took over the entire Toad Empire and then tried to take over the Anniverse. Possibly. Wow, so Fear Factory, this is kind of a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster I like. Uh, It's a roller coaster that I liked at the beginning of it, and then I was like, fuck, I've already been through this corner. It's really fucking boring. Well, you know, there's roller coasters like The Boss in at Six Flags St. Louis goes on and on forever and ever and beats the shit out of you. And then there's roller coasters like Mr. Freeze that it's a minute and a half, but you loved it. I like the boss more than Mr. Freeze. Oh, the boss beats the shit out of you. Yeah, See, the great. Screaming Eagle would be Fear Factory in my eyes. No, that's Ministry because it's old and falling apart. <laughs> oh, wait, we're not doing that episode this week. Sorry. We'll get to that later. <laughs> More to come on that. Fear Factory is an American metal band. And I say metal band because we're going to really get into whether or not they are actually an industrial band. I feel like this year's Industrial December should have been called, is it industrial? December? Question mark. It's definitely December because it's cold outside. Yes. You I've mean been, like we're asking December if the band is industrial? Yeah. I mean, because we did Mindless Self-Indulgence last week, and that really wasn't industrial. Pitch Shifter was kind of industrial. In Fear Factory, we're going to get into whether this is an industrial metal band or just a metal band. Before we start making decisions about Fear Factory, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening, and now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. We love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. There's machines that are running our entire world, and one day they're going to take over. But for right now, we actually have a little bit of control over them. The algorithms are coming. The algorithms are coming. Algorithms take a podcast, and it takes all their ratings and their reviews, and it puts them into, well, this little formula, and it tries to recommend those podcasts to other people that might like it, which is why we ask for ratings and reviews. If you like the show, send us a rating. You can even send us a rating if you don't like us. You could do that. And we'd still read it on the show. Speaking of things we're going to read on the show, we got an email from listener Ryan. He thought Jeff really wanted to know what was going on in the world of Sunny Day Real Estate. Oh, you see, I've been single dad all week and haven't had a chance to look at the news. And I see this up on my screen and I'm about ready to kill Dave Grohl because he's a piece of shit. You want to just say it out loud? Dave Grohl is allegedly blocking the release of Sunny Day Real Estate's new album. He can go fuck himself. How is Dave Grohl stopping Sunny Day Real Estate from releasing a record? I have no idea. Nate Mendel is still, or Nate Mendel, however you say it, is still in Foo Fighters, but William Goldsmith, I think he recorded, what, one track and most of the stuff was live because Dave Grohl ended up recording over everything that William Goldsmith did in the studio because it wasn't too, it wasn't machine-like enough for him. Why don't you go ahead and read this then? One of my favorite drummers, William Goldsmith, had this to say, Recently, by the way, of objective ears, I have been reminded of the fact that the greatest Sunny Day Real Estate record ever made remains silenced, abandoned, and buried within the murkiest depths of Dave Grohl's sock drawer. It's both a shocking slap of reality and a swift kick in the balls. Gets harder (laughs) to handle each time. Somehow, someday, something has to be done. 
The tragedy of it is literally manifesting into physical pain. It honestly feels like someone has taken a part of me as a human being and locked it in the closet. My wife looked at me this evening and said, I am starting to understand what's been haunting you for the past six years because it's starting to haunt me as well. This is not the first time I've had my voice taken from me, but now this music hasn't just been taken away from me anymore. Now it's being a takeaway from my children. Unforgivable. There's, I don't know what Dave Grohl's like thing is against William Goldsmith. I mean, he's even said in uh, multiple interviews that he feels really shitty about what he did. Dave Grohl, as much as people love him and say how great he is, has, doesn't have a, a sack on him at all to apologize and say, I'm sorry, and water under the bridge. He can't do it. And he said he can't do it for whatever reason. He just feels too guilty to broach the subject, which just pisses me off. AC tweeted at us, a potentially finished Sunny Day real estate album that can't be listened to? How's Jeff taking the news? Should we put him on a homicide watch? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> Especially after my previous statement. <laughs> to be continued. I wouldn't say any more for fear of, you know, the people listening. Uh, yeah, yeah, You don't want the YouTube sensor to wake up, do you? The Securitron? Yeah, we don't want people to notify the robot known as Dave Grohl that uh, I'm stopping his takeover of the universe. So, in reference to our Shadows Fall episode, Ooh. Chris McCoy posted on Facebook, Brian Fair was at the Firebird for the Unearthed show. That's in St. Louis for anybody who's curious. He got up on stage and sang on Endless. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so that's cool. Not only is he there, but he's participating. Very cool. So how could you not, right? And then in reference to our Pitch Shifter episode that we just posted last week, Mike Newton says, Pretty excited for this episode. I got into Pitch Shifter after hearing them on an OzFest live album during their as close to new metal as they could get phase. I liked it and dug deeper to find their old stuff very satisfying when in a doomy mood. Great pick for the kickoff of Industrial December. We were one more episode closer to Fear Factory. It's happening, buddy. It's happening right now. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do this. Oh, and by the way, Sam Hayden was fucking awful. <laughs> Thank God. Thank you very much. And if you remember, uh, Mike was telling us uh, a couple weeks ago that he was a fan of Glenn Danzig and he had never heard Sam Hain. So I was a little interested to see if his viewpoint lined up with what we were throwing down on that. Looks like... Uh, Looks like if enough people say it's shit, it's objectively true. <laughs> I'm sure that there's enough Glenn Danzig in this world to counteract us. You know, because he's the greatest man ever and the greatest front man ever. Is he? According to him, he is. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought that was Dave Grohl. Oh. Well, <laughs> speaking of people that think that they are geniuses, uh, let's get into Fear Factory. Oh, yeah. He's a little full of himself at times. Burton Bell. Tell me about Fear Factory. Well, Fear Factory formed in, oh shit, I don't know, sometime in the early 90s. <laughs> uh, they formed in 1989, to be uh, completely exact. They were called Ulceration when they started, which is actually a really cool name. Yeah, it is very cool. What are you listening to, Fear Factory? Oh, yeah? Oh, well, check, that, check out this other band called Ulceration. Dude, with the, with the, the, the way the ulcers are going for me right now. <laughs> I would listen to that shit. Yeah. We might get Jeff's real review of Dave Grohl and Sunny Day Real Estate. <laughs> but for some reason, they weren't okay with ulceration, so they changed their name to Fear Factory because there was literally a factory by them that was, quote, scary. I wish I could make this up, but that is how the name Fear Factory came about. I kind of find it interesting that their guitarist, Dino, used to be in a band called the Douche Lords. I'm going to get into that a little bit later because it sounds like the band that he should have been in. Yeah, for sure. I, I was going to say, I, I was thinking you'd be pissed off. You're like, damn it, how come I wasn't in that band? I don't know why we didn't call the podcast The Douche Lords. <laughs> like, we didn't want to be literal. Right. We didn't, yeah. It's a little too on the nose, isn't it? But anyway, um, Dino Cazares and Burton C. Bell created Fear Factory back in the day. And they were basically like a death metal band. For all intents and purposes, they yeah. were a death metal band. Now, they really weren't throwing down like Florida death metal or Cannibal Corpse type stuff, which is unfortunate. Everybody should do that, right? And yes. everybody did all through the 90s, so I really can't complain. Yeah, especially since you're fresh off the uh, Cannibal Corpse show. 
Yeah, I did see Cannibal Corpse last week, and that was a lot of fun. I couldn't make it, unfortunately. I thought Corpse Grinder's head was literally going to fly off of his shoulders. <laughs> Fear Factory, though, they were... Uh, oh, we already talked about how they were a death metal band. Um, in 1991, they actually recorded their first recordings ever with uh, famed producer Ross Robinson, which is interesting because he really wasn't a big deal yet. When did Ross Robinson become a big deal? Like on the first Korn album? It would have been the first Corn or Life is Peachy when people started to notice what Ross Robinson did as far as how he recorded bands and how he interacted with people in the studio. Yeah, I mean, and this was like basically fresh off the street. They sat down with him and they recorded basically an entire album worth of material but didn't use it for some reason. And I'm not really sure what the story was behind that, but I do know that Ross actually kept the recordings and used those as his resume. So I didn't realize that that was done in Blackie Lawless's studio. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. I mean, I, it, all, like, it all sounded good. Yeah, it sounded really good. And like, I actually, and I know we're going back into the 80s, but Blackie Lawless was a, the front man of a band named Wasp. Yeah. And they were kind of like some of the original bad boys of the early 80s. So it was very... Uh, it's kind of cool to find that out because I actually always liked Blackie because I just liked his fuck you kind of attitude that he had going for him. So and that, I guess that was the only other thing that um, that Ross Robinson did before the Corn album. You know, that was of note was that he was an engineer on one of the Wasp albums. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. And that's it. Well, I, well, I, I think there might. I think he did. Um, what's out? What was out before Corn self-titled? They had something else before that. Uh, Niedermeyer's Mind. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay, so I remember it being something weird. Yeah, I'm like, hmm, that's a very famous last name in hockey. (laughs) Well, to get back on track, they didn't use this recording, but it just kind of sat there. And -hmm. I guess Rob, I guess Ross was like pimping it out to people. But uh, they decided to re-record the album in 1992 with a different producer, and that was with Colin Richardson. Uh and the album they ended up producing had a lot of the same songs on it, but that's what would go on to become uh, Soul of a New Machine. So, like, right out of the gate, we're talking about machines and souls and this this weird mixture of man and machine, which is what this album basically sounds like. It sounds like a death metal band. And unlike a band like Godflesh or Pitch Shifter, like we talked about earlier, this was not, like, slow, doomy stuff. This was like straight ahead, really fast, aggressive shit. Yeah, it is. And uh, I love this Fear Factory album. Yeah, this is surprising because I hadn't heard this uh, in. I was still in high school, so it's been a while. Two decades plus. Yeah, I mean, it's extremely aggressive. It has industrial elements. It has a lot of samples going on. And uh, Burton's death metal vocals are pretty top-notch yeah they're pretty sick i'd have to say yeah like he he really knocks it out of the park with these but the coolest thing the most notable thing is he also did cleans which you really didn't hear in death metal albums in the early 90s like he had a nice clean smooth singing voice and he had that from the beginning yeah it was pretty like this was before the Corey taylors of the world would come along and you know sweep us off our collective feet well it, I know that uh, Fear Factory has been a big influence on Slipknot, so maybe that's... Could that be part of it? Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. Um, I think that Burton sounds really good on this release. Yeah, I think it's actually vocally, surprisingly, this early on, it's one of it, one of his best, in my opinion. Well, and the riffing is like really killer and really interesting and really memorable. And this is a long record, dude. It's like at least an hour yeah, I can't remember how long it is, but it is in a world where we're used to 30-minute albums. 55 minutes and 14 yeah, seconds. Yeah, it's thrash a, metal returns. It, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a long one for sure, but totally worth it. It's probably in my top two Fear Factory releases just because, again, I've heard way worse debut albums than this, and this was, just, this was out of the gate just fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad you said that you thought it was in your top two, especially... Uh, as we get closer to what I know is your top, your number one. Yeah. Because when I said earlier that I thought that your number one was at least in the top two, that's because this album is either 1A or 1B for me when it comes to Fear Factory. And it's mainly because I was just like, I can't 
I didn't realize how fucking brutal he was right out of the gate. This was, this is this is one hell of a way to you know appear on the scene and say, "Here we are, motherfuckers." This is. <laughs> yeah, it is it is one hell of an introduction. Yeah, for the is. rest of us, the introduction was demanufacture. You're not wrong, Joe. This was the first Fear Factory album a lot of people heard. Is this industrial? A little bit. It has the elements. It has the out-in-front mechanical-sounding synthesizers of the early to mid-90s. Beyond that, it's a straight... I wouldn't call it death metal. There's too much baritone for it to be death metal. Not on D-Manufacture. They had started moving away from that. Yeah, which is a shame in my opinion. They started hitting more like groovy, thrashy kind of stuff. Which makes sense for the time period. Right, it does. It's like proto-new metal, you know? Right. It's a lot more extreme than that, though, and that's actually something I like about D-Manufacture is that it still sounds modern, I think. Like, you could... I think almost if you stripped all of the industrial elements away and just presented it as a metal album to somebody now, I think it would fit in pretty well with most modern music which is interesting because as we get later on into their discography we're going to talk about them doing that exact thing but Demanufacture I think is still one motherfucker of an album it's not my favorite because as much as I like it I don't find it to be overly memorable right it's just one of those things where it's good but not great like we said it's it's roadkill it's middle of the road well, no, this one's probably above middle of the road. This is a, this is closer to the other side of the road for sure. Because yeah. this is when they're still a very energetic and new band and have shit to say about robots. So, yeah, so you're just saying, like, the back legs got hit by the tires instead of the whole fucking body? Maybe. <laughs> one of the things that was interesting about D-Manufacture is there's basically two versions of it. There's D-Manufacture and then there's Remanufacture, which is D-Manufacture Remixed. remixed. And that one is a lot more industrial. Yes. Do you think that that might have been why they were labeled so heavily as an industrial band? Because I feel like most people's first exposure was the remix. I think Fear Factory hit the mainstream with their more industrial sound and that remix. I think it was a happy accident. No, I think the reason why they get labeled as industrial is one song and one song alone and it's not even a song of their own oh cars yeah it's cars cars is absolutely the reason why they get labeled as an industrial band well i don't think that's entirely true though because soul of a new machine was very industrial i'm just saying we're talking about the masses we're not talking about fans for the masses like what's what's the what is the most popular song Fear Factory's ever done? It's not a song of their own. It's Cars. Well, Lynchpin's pretty popular, but for like mainstream, like non-metal fans, that's what I was talking about with the remix album. Was that it was so different than what the band actually sounded like, and it's actually a little bit more interesting, right? Like I've heard people say that like the remix is more interesting than the original product. And that's a problem with Fear Factory because I feel like a lot of people would describe the band as boring. Like 100% technically sound and good at what they do, but for some reason, whenever you remix it, it becomes more compelling. And I think for the mainstream audience, they thought the remix was what Fear Factory sounded like. That's kind of the same thing that happened to Bush. It was all about Machine Head and glycerin and then there was this movie and they remixed mouth and made it industrial and that became bush to a lot of people i remember that yeah and it is a far superior version of the song i'm sorry (laughs) razor blade suitcase is my favorite boring album (laughs) but uh we could save that for one of our non-metal discussions we could talk about bush right i don't know man i kind of feel like bush is kind of obsolete at this point kind of like fear factory's third album Fear Factory's third album, Obsolete. All right, I got to say one thing real quick because it's stuck in my head. Okay. Because we were talking about like people who got completely pigeonholed as one thing when they're definitely not that. Uh, talking about stuff like that is Susan Vega, Tom's Diner. Oh, yeah. Because that... I agree with that. Because that was like... That was an acapella song. Yeah. Okay? That she released at an end of the album. And these a couple of DJs got a hold of it and put beats underneath it, and it became this massive hit. And that's like absolutely nothing that she is. 
So I'm sorry. I just had to throw that out there because it was like, like screaming to get out of my brain. All right, let's move on to obsolete. Just Ladies like and gentlemen, wanted. ADHD Jeff just showed up and had to say something. Oh. <laughs> obsolete is like D manufacture, but with better songwriting. Like they're taking all these elements that they've had since the beginning. Even by album three, Fear Factory had a grab bag of elements that make up Fear Factory. Machine-like, almost industrial sounding drumming, percussive guitars, aggressive vocals, and extraordinarily smooth vocals. That is the Fear Factory grab bag of elements. They had all of this in the beginning. They didn't develop it over time. They had that on the very first album. Yep. I feel like obsolete was whenever they took all those grab bag elements and put them in place and it worked really well and they crafted really good songs out of it this is essentially when the standard was set for what is a fear factory song or what is a fear factory album they're another example of a band that hit their stride and didn't change not really i'm not upset or annoyed by it they're just another band it doesn't matter what album i grab i'm going to enjoy it yeah this is this is my 1b obsoletus it is a uh it's a very complete album it you know i'm normally not a big new new metal guy and it's got like hints it, you can tell they're starting to go that way it's on this proto new metal yeah. yeah and i actually like that style for them it works i think it works very well for them it's where all their memorability is when you don't have the new metal elements in fear factory they are basically a boring band yeah it's just some dude that watched terminator 2 too many times right and i know one of the reasons you like obsolete jeff is because it's a concept album yes and the concept is actually pretty compelling i'm not going to go through the entire thing here because that would take an hour at least but it's the future machines have taken over society's crumbling yada 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 there's this big ripped dude called Edge Crusher, who is our main character, and Edge Crusher works tirelessly to bring down the machine and uh, has a lot of self-reflection. There's a lot to it. Um, if you want to hear more about it, I would just go read the lyrics or read the liner notes because there's actually, like, they set up the scene before each song, which is really cool. Like, there's there will be a page, like a couple of paragraphs, describing the scene like a, like a movie script. And uh, that's actually a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I actually, I enjoyed myself on this one. Uh, like you said, I, I do like concept albums, and that's because I'm an old-school album listener. I'm a start-to-finish kind of guy. And this was a pretty easy album to listen to from start to finish. Dude, that song Edge Crusher, though. Is beast. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely my number one Fear Factory song. Is it now? It really is. Uh, and it's weird. It's devoid of clean vocals, which everybody loves about Fear Factory. Oh, my God, the clean vocals. They're so great. Um, and they are. Like, objectively, they are. I just don't like them for some reason. His cleans are, they're antiseptic. Yeah. They're, they're devoid of emotion. And I I think that this probably is by design, you know, because we're talking about man and machine and everything with machine. I wonder if that's what he, like, is, like, thinking to himself, like, the harsh vocals is humanity and the clean vocals is is the robot you know it's all monotone and it's always the same it's possible but his screams are oftentimes monotone and exactly the same yeah but at least you can i can still grasp a little emotion out of a scream as as i can as compared to a monotone singing voice yeah i mean it definitely punches through the emotion but i think that burton is just really dedicated to the concept right and so i i would believe that it was an intentional choice to sound that way yeah i, I do and i just wish it wasn't i mean some people love his clean vocals for whatever reason i don't hate them i'm not like like i'm not hearing it and i'm like pissed off whenever he starts singing i thought he sounded really good on uh soul the new machine or soul of a new machine and on this album i think he sounds really good too um but man, that song Edge Crusher is just like some of their most memorable riffing. And it's like the closest thing they really have to a single, you know, because it's just so in your face. You can see this shit just tearing things up on uh, Headbangers Ball. Yeah. You know, it would be the song that you blast in the car. I don't think it was ever released as a single, though. There was multiple 
singles on this album released, and I don't think this was one of them, though. Well, obviously, they made a mistake. Yeah, I, well, that's kind of what I'm getting at is I I do think it's a mistake. I think it was more the radio-friendly stuff that got released instead of the stuff that would show up on a, a, a Headbangers Ball with, you know, with Ricky Rackman. I'm a fan of his vocals, not for how they sound or what he does with them because he doesn't really do a lot. It's more about what he gets away with not doing. You'll hear music critics, not us, never us, talk about the vocalist is devoid of life and doesn't have any emotion in their performance or they have too much. People talk about Freddie Mercury because of how expressive he was and how much emotion he put into his music. He was, technically speaking, a baritone. But then Fear Factory, you have this smooth delivery and they get away with it. It's kind of the same mindset of Claudio Sanchez gets away with sounding like that. Like a three-year-old girl? Three? Try five. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't give him a free pass because I have to say that when it's all... I'll, you know, when you, th- you look at the entire discography of theirs, what brings it down for me besides the um, more of the same, it's the clean vocals. That's probably my least favorite of everything that I hear on their discography is the clean vocals. I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority on that, but that's my least favorite part. It's probably my least favorite part, too. I take a little bit of issue with the drumming. But I don't know. Yeah, the, the the desire to sound like a drum machine. Yeah, the drumming bothers me a little bit. Yeah, so you know you know who else likes sounding like a drum machine? Who's that? Dave Grohl. Oh, well, okay. Let's. <laughs> He's one of the most expressive drum machines of all time. I don't know what you're talking. You about. have an album like Obsolete, and you're like, how do we follow that? Dan wants to go to Digimortal now. Because Obsolete was a huge album for them. Although sadly, it was only really popular because of the cover of cars like they really didn't get popular at this stage in their career on their own laurels it was because they recorded a modern version of a of a new wave song which was a great i don't know cover, that to be way. true but i believe you yeah this was basically their biggest single was cars was cars yeah because it got tons of radio play even on like pop stations it's kind of unfortunate though because for a huge concept album like this that like took itself so damn seriously for you to have yeah like it's so weird hearing cars at the end of obsolete it's a great cover but it just doesn't belong where it is it belongs as a single and not on any other albums because it doesn't really sound like anything else they've done but how do they follow this with another concept album well i don't know if digimortal was a concept album People say Demanufacture was a concept album, but it wasn't like Obsolete was. Because there's a lot of people that say that like it's a trilogy, because everybody's like so fucking obsessed with trilogies. They say Demanufacture's the first one, Obsolete's the second one, and Digital Mortal's the third one, but Return of the Jedi, this is not. I think Digital Mortal, they're like, okay guys, you guys brought that grab bag with you, didn't you? <laughs> Absolutely, I got some clean vocals. I got some sick drumming. I got some awesome riffs. We got some uh, new metal-ish feel coming on. We've got some weird rapping going on here. Yeah, we even got uh, Be Real is on one of the tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you're a Cypress Hill fan, you're uh, you're in business. It's actually pretty badass because Burton gets out there and raps too. Yeah. Which is uh, thankfully something he never did on his own. He was just in the spirit of the song. Like, I get that. He's in the studio, and he's feeling it. Yeah. And it works. Right. As well as it can work. I mean, if you're somebody that just fucking hates new metal, I mean, you are you checked out after Soul of a New Machine, you know. Yeah, you know, but, that's the weird thing is, is that I am normally that guy that checks out, but this works for me for whatever reason. But now you're on a podcast. You don't have a choice. To- no, no, it's not even that. <laughs> I, 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 I get full right to, you know, shit on an album if I don't like it, right. which I will absolutely do later in this episode. <laughs> you know, maybe multiple times. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to have uh, <laughs> a dysentery or some shit. I was going to ask, I was going to ask Joe, we need to start doing mulligans. Like each of us get like three mulligans for the whole year. And we get to be like, uh, this this album was a hard pass for me. <laughs> that might be a welcome change in 2019. Everybody gets three chances to just back out of the conversation. What, what, what do we call it? We'll call it the... Um, we call it I Jeffed It. 
No. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what that shitty corn album was called. Life is, is peachy. peachy. No, not that one. Corn there, Three. Remember a, who you there's are. There's a few shitty corn albums. Untouchable. Uh, just kidding. No. No, it's the one with the. Du- I can't say that word. Uh, with that, you know, guy that you know was on it that Joe won't let me say the name of. What was that album called? We just go through every fucking corn <laughs> album. The Path of Totality. Oh fuck you! I like that one. We'll call it. The, I'm taking the Path of Totality on this. Yeah, one. we'll call it. We'll call it the Totality Principle or something like. <laughs> to yeah, be continued. Given an actual name, yeah. So watch out for that next yeah, instead year. Instead of the Path of the Exile, it's the Path of Totality. Well, luckily, I'm totally skipping this one. Luckily, we're not there on. Uh, Luckily, we're not there on Fear Factory yet. Yeah, I think Dan would never take the Path of Totality or the Mulligan or whatever you want to call it. He's too excited to shit on albums he hates. Yeah, that is part of the pleasure of doing the podcast. <laughs> However, Digimortal is like a attempt to recreate what they created on Obsolete. And I think for the most part, it succeeds. This one's a little bit poppier. If you can call a band like this poppy, um, it's a little bit more hooky. Like, I feel like on Obsolete, they were just trying to make the best album they could make. On this album, I feel like they were trying to fish for singles. Oh, yeah. There's definitely a, a fish for singles. The, the clean vocals on this one are actually not quite as monotone as well. And I think that's partly because I think they're... You know, like you said, they're trying to find something with a hook. They're trying to get something that's going to be on the radio, and they they succeeded. Because outside of Cars, what's their most popular song? Lynchpin. Lynchpin, yeah. And that's on this album. Is Fear Factory a new metal band masquerading as a heavy metal band? I think they're a heavy metal band at their core with new metal elements. I think most of those elements can be blamed on the times. And they just never let it go? They did stick with it for quite a while. Yeah. Even I like it. I've just always been curious about it. I know people that like new metal and they like death metal. And for whatever reason, they don't like Fear Factory. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, because it's funny that you say that because I'm kind of the opposite. I'm not a big new metal fan, but I like these these Fear Factory records. And they have, you know, enough new metal elements on it that, you, like, this. I think this one you could really say is strict, you know. It's their most new metal. Yeah, this is a new metal yeah. album, in my opinion. And they actually got a lot of shit for that because everybody hates new metal for some reason. Well, not, not anymore. It's starting to come back. So hopefully people will look at this with new eyes and listen to it with, with fresh ears. Yeah, I mean, back then, though, it would have been considered a bad thing. That's, yeah. Well, what? It was, what, 2001? And they can't. It was still. I thought this one was ninety nine. Was it ninety nine? Was it that early? Like people can't, can't be shitting on it that early. Digimortal was two thousand one. Yeah, it was oh, two thousand one. Okay, so yeah. Point Jeff. Yeah. So it, people shouldn't have been shitting on this because this, this was right in the heyday. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It, it just people shit on it. I, because know, I feel they, like I feel like people were really into new metal in like the what from like ninety nine to two thousand through two thousand, but by two thousand one. I feel like that's when new metal kind of started to go away. Well, that's whenever you stopped listening to it and the mainstream did. Right. And so I guess dudes like me were like, what the fuck is this Fear Factory album? Well, that's when I think that's kind of what you're getting at. I think it was the sellout persona that people felt. Right. They're, and they're, back like, then, oh, they're like, dude, you're fucking like demanufacturer, soul of a new machine, and you put this shitty Digimortals. We decided to let Obsolete go because, you know, Edge Crusher was a pretty cool song. You know, but like, yeah, I think that's really what's going down here is that people it's just like that backlash of, hey, you're you're just trying to sell what's popular right now. But I think it actually fits pretty well for them, even though. Yeah. And as I've been saying, this all still came from the same grab bag of elements that created the other albums. Right. It's just more of it. uh, Right. Certain elements on this one. So we did two cups of new metal instead of this time instead of a two thirds cup or whatever. And, uh, so, yeah, I don't think they're doing anything that they haven't already done before, really. But uh, I thought Digimortal was pretty good. I don't like it as much as Obsolete because that record is just so over the top as far as the concept goes, really drilling it into your head. It's set is the, the my third favorite album, surprisingly, which normally, because if, if you listen to any of the other episodes, I tend to shit on new metal stuff an awful lot outside of Flaw. Do we need to talk about Concrete or can we skip that one? 
Well, concrete is worth mentioning at least. So, you remember how earlier I was talking about Ross Robinson and all that recording stuff, all those recordings he had of early Fear Factory material? That's concrete. See, after Digimortal didn't do very well, Fear Factory broke up. Hey, Ross, you still got those recordings? Oh, yeah. And I need to buy a new boat. Or he probably needed to buy, like, new mics and shit for his studio or something. Right. So they release the original recordings as a quote-unquote new album called Concrete. Definitely not new. If you listen to it, you're like, yeah, this is definitely old fucking Fear Factory. It's not necessarily bad, though. It is the most fucking death metal stuff they've ever done. Right. Which is not a bad thing. They like were pretty said. much a pure death metal band at that point with uh, some industrial elements thrown in. And a lot of the songs actually became Soul of a New Machine. Yes, they did. It's okay. It's not. I don't consider it an official Fear Factory release, but it's a cool curiosity. This is the band we could have gotten if they wanted to just go straight doom and gloom death metal. Absolutely. But it's cool. I mean, I think some of the stuff on Concrete's pretty cool. I think it's uh, pretty solid. So this is what would have been been like if they would have stayed as ulceration or some some shit. Yeah, this is this is these are like straight up ulceration tracks. <laughs> like for sure. Uh, they didn't stay broke up though. Well, it's not really that they stayed broke broke up. It's just that um, somebody likes to stay in the band and change out all the other band members continuously at this point forward. Right. Basically, what happened is. Fear Factory returned with, I think it was without Dino. And they said Dino, you know, because like when they broke up there, you know, Dino was like, well, it's it's uh, Burton's fault and it's those other two guys' fault. And they're like, no, dude, it was all fucking Dino. That guy's a piece of shit. You know, it was like that sort of heavily paraphrased. And he's going on and on about how Fear Factory could continue without them. And they're like, fuck you. Fear Factory continued without him. Yep. And they put out an album called Archetype. Fear Factory became the archetype. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Shout out to Jason Wisdom. I think that Archetype sounds like Demanufacture. Am I wrong in thinking that? It's not catchy enough to sound like... No, it's it's Obsolete. It's not as good as Demanufacture. No, not even close. But I could see where they were going because some of the reasons why they broke up is because people kept criticizing them for being new metal to the point where the band started being like, it's too new metal. We got to move away from that. And I feel like they did on Archetype. But like I was saying earlier, it is kind of a boring experience because when you're this many albums in, the grab bag starts getting a little old. It's like, dude, pour that thing out on the floor. What else we got in here? Yeah, that's exactly it. You, you're going into the the same bag of tricks over and over again. It's no longer a bag of tricks. It's a bag of shit because we're all bored. Well, well maybe I, let me take I'm that I'm definitely back. not bored. Yeah, not everybody's going to be bored, but I was. It's like a mechanic spent thousands of dollars, bought the tool chest, filled it up with wrenches and sockets he bought a brand new jack stand he's ready to change all the tires and change his oil still reaches for the same phillips head screwdriver his dad used when he was a kid there's some bands that yes i get the warm and fuzzy because of that but this is not one of them you know there's no sentimental attachment to fear factory well there's not that they're correct there's not that but the other thing too like when you take into their subject material and then the fact that they're supposed to be industrial metal part of in my mind, being industrial metal is that you're futuristic and uh, experimental at times, and I really don't get a whole lot of that from them. And so it just kind of becomes stale for me. What makes this band industrial on this record? Oh, this is just straight metal. Yeah, it's just they're they are not. I think they. I don't ever think that uh, you could consciously call them an industrial metal band. They might have some industrial metal albums, but they're just a straight up metal band that they have. They've kind of like dipped their toes in a few different things, but I don't think they just like uh, outside of like their early death metal stuff really jump, you know, headlong into one particular style. Well, Jeff, nothing you say matters to them. 
So I just want you to realize that right off the bat. Okay. That was like their tough guy song, you know. <laughs> I remember seeing the video for it. They're like standing in a fucking industrial complex and uh, <laughs> like screaming that they don't give a fuck about what we think. But they clearly do because they didn't make Digimortal Part 2. Which I th- actually think they should have. Yeah, I think that would have been smart. I mean, think about it. Like at this point, if the band had continued from the Digimortal sound, we would have like smooth, soulful pop albums from Fear Factory and they'd probably be great. Yeah, that's like some Earth 2 shit. Now I just want to go see Tim Curry in Earth 2. <laughs> I know it's a different Earth 2, but... Yeah, it's okay. But that's the Earth 2 I'm thinking of right now. But this is a Fear Factory <laughs> album that you can buy and you can listen to, and it sounds good. If you're a diehard Fear Factory fan, this is good. This is technically sound. It's proficient. It's... Uh, I know there's such a negative comment- connotation when I say proficient now, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really mean that, though. It is a perfectly serviceable Fear Factory album, and I'm sure people that were fans of the band were really behind this when it came out. Um, I think all the elements are there, but that's also kind of the problem with it, is that they were a band that was progressing, and now all of a sudden they, they've rewound a couple of notches. And, you know, everybody's done that. I mean, Napalm Death did that. Cannibal Corpse did it every album, I think we decided. Yep. Like, they just decided that, like, oh, we got to do what the fans want. For this album, and then we'll put our fans first and ourselves second. In that particular scenario, it's respectable, but it's going to become a huge problem as we go on. Yeah, so what, the next one's Transgression, right? I think think so, man. All these albums sound the same. Yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) Is, I, it's, it's like I'm colorblind. All the shit looks the, is all the same. It's weird, too, because Dino would have told you that he was a prominent songwriter, but this doesn't really sound that different than the stuff he was on. You know who did uh, produce this album? Our friend Toby Wright. The man. The man. The myth. The legend. The actual right man. He's always right. And that's all that matters. Fuck the Wright brothers. Toby Wright. I think that's why the hooks are so good on this one. I did think that the clean vocals were better produced here than they had ever been. I think he sounds pretty good on these. And it's weird, too, because the new metal's back, too. They've been uh, produced a little bit, his vocals. They and have I, been produced yeah. by greatness. Yes, but I, but I think that's actually a good thing. It's like I almost think they kind of shied away from it before. Well, I think they went into the studio thinking, like, yeah, man, we left this new metal stuff behind us. And Toby Wright's like, do you want this to sound like some weird idealized thing or do you want it to sound good <laughs> we want to make money that's all we care about. Like, that okay, may have been great. exactly what he said now that yeah. i think about it <laughs> honestly i could see him saying that like it just you know having talked to toby Wright now like in person i can definitely see those interactions like play out in my head where he's like do you want this to sound like what the fans want or do you want this to sound good how about new fans how about how about more record sales how about I actually get paid by you guys and not the record label this time? You know, I could see all of these conversations happening. I think this is a better album than Archetype, but a lot of the problems that I li- that I lobbied against Archetype are also on this record. It's a little too samey sounding. Yeah, that's what well, it's the the whole uh, playing it safe that we talk about. But that's you know to a certain extent that's okay, but. When you're playing it safe is not to, well, in our, in our opinion, a, um, a good safe, say like Cannibal Corpse. I know we keep going back to that, but it was the same shit over and over again, but that shit was so fucking good. It was compelling enough on its own. Right. This, uh, you know, what they have going for them just isn't quite enough to get into the good category to where you, when you keep going to the well, that it's, you know... They're, they need to, you know, expand a little bit like they used to do because that's what made them, well, that's what made them good, in my opinion, back then. Well, and I think if Archetype is obsolete, Transgression is Digimortal. You know, and, and I, again, I don't think Archetype even holds a candle to obsolete, but for comparison's sake, this was the, we're, we're fishing for hits. We're fishing for singles now. Yeah catchy yeah and and honestly i appreciated that more 
on this record because I didn't want another Fear Factory album that sounds the same. You know, anytime I want to hear a Fear Factory album that sounds like classic Fear Factory, nothing's stopping me from putting in D Manufacturer and listening to it. Nothing at all. So, like, I don't necessarily need a new album to be that again. And this record was a little bit catchier, and I think it's the better of the two. Oh, it is. But talking about playing it safe for just one moment longer, if what you're creating is good, what exactly does playing it safe mean? I think of Between the Buried and Me when they put out Colors, and then they put out The Great Misdirect. On one hand, that's playing it safe. You attempted to do the exact same thing again. What you could have done was make another Alaska, which for those that haven't heard those records, Colors was kind of a concept composition and Alaska was just an album of songs. I would say playing it safe would be doing the exact same thing again. And they did, and it wasn't as good. And that's a bad example because that record actually is good, except for Swim to the Moon. (laughs) Another example of that is Cannibal Corpse. Is Cannibal Corpse our band of the year? They might not can even we just, close. Can we just, well, for, I don't know. For, for me and Jeff, Jeff, it's pretty strong. Yeah, for Dan and I, I think it's pretty damn close. Maybe we'll throw out an episode at the end of the year, like a real short thing talking about what our, what we think the best bands we covered this year were. Oh, I think it's a great idea. I think that would be fun to do. Yeah, because... Send us a tweet if you want us to do that. Yeah, stay tuned. The one thing I, I, I'm going to have to give one, one more shout out for Transgression they uh they cover a song that i thoroughly enjoy millennium by uh, killing joke gee what a shock and uh, jeff talking about killing joke again if it was any other band i would tell you to get out of my house <laughs> this is really weird at this point in the band's history so they released transgression it's a pretty good album and i feel like they were starting to get back to where they were before but then the band went on hiatus and this is where it gets weird. So, like, Dino was not on the last two albums. On this album, Dino's back. And he brought a special guest with him. And the other two guys are gone. However, they claim we were never kicked out of Fear Factory. We're still that band. But Burton has now formed a new band with Gene Hoagland, apparently. And, uh, and Dino... And they're calling that band Fear Factory. What the fuck, guys? Like, it did not go over well. And this is one of those situations where I'm like, is Burton like an actual psychopath? Because he's the common element throughout all of this. So there's the original band, and then they break up. And then he's like, fuck Dino. Dino's a piece of shit. I hate his guts. You guys want to keep doing Fear Factory without him? They're like, fuck yeah, we do. They put out two albums with that lineup. And then he's like, hey, Dino, you know those other guys? Yeah, fuck them. And, you know, I got Gene Hoagland's number. So, like, we need to get together and record some, like, actual Fear Factory shit. I mean, I'm not talking about that other shit that I was on. I mean, that was that was miserable, man. I'm having a haste the day moment where I'm asking myself, can there be two Fear Factories? And is that a bad thing? The difference between haste the day and Fear Factory, well, First of all, there's thousands of differences. <laughs> but the biggest Not difference... Not just cosmetic. The biggest difference is that there's no change that's really noticeable here. Right. It's like they're swapping band members in and out. It still sounds like the same band, and the common element is Burton C. Bell. Self-proclaimed genius. Yeah, he's the driving force. He's a megalomaniac. I think that's what he is. And I was like, how does he get these guys on board? Like, he doesn't talk to somebody for two years, then he's like, let's get back into fucking Fear Factory. Like, does he make, like, the best barbecue? Like, does he, like, does he call up the dudes and he's like, hey, man, Dino, he's a piece of shit or whatever, but, like, I got these pork steaks. (laughs) (laughs) And you guys know, you guys know my secret ingredient on pork steaks, right? You know, and then, you know, when these guys are like, oh, man, let's do it. Let's do it. It's like it's like Burton C. Bell throws an annual barbecue every year. And whoever shows up to the barbecue is on the next Fear Factory record. Like, it's hard not to see it that way. Can I be the guy that invited Gene Hoagland to the barbecue? Somebody invited Gene Hoagland to the barbecue. He heard through the grapevine that this was like 
literally the best pork steaks he was ever going to eat. And he was like, well, I'm in like 10,000 other bands, but I guess I'll make time for Fear Factory. And it was good. And actually, the weird thing about the album that they produced, which was called Mechanized, because at this point, their album titles are like self-parody. <laughs> I mean, I got to admit, man, the drumming is... It's on Ooh. point. Yeah, it's fucking Gene Hoagland. I mean, I don't know what else to say, really. The man sounds more precise than a machine. Like, he makes the machine sound like a man. Maybe that's the whole point. Whoa. We're not talking about is, Nine Inch Nails yet. Yeah, my he, mind is blown. He's the man behind the machine, kind of like how he, he controls the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so everybody's favorite psychopath, Burton C. Bell, is, again, behind the helm. And you got Gene Hoagland and Dino, and you got a new album called Mechanized. But, like, guys, does Mechanized sound like a different band? It could be the production. It could be that the opening track is a little more genty than previous records and a little less new metal. It could be that Gene Hoagland is doing exactly what he does. For me, it's not different as much as I know it's different people, so I'm fooling myself into thinking thinking that it's something different. It's not really, though. It sounds more modern, but, like, that's to be expected. Right. But, I mean, overall, this just sounds like the same old shit. Like, when when Burton says Fear Factory's a business and I'm just restructuring, what an asshole thing to say. Yeah, but it's... When you're talking about actual human people, but... We all know that guy's got a huge hard-on for robots, so... Yeah. You cannot call them members. You have to okay, call them Okay, we don't need fucking souls. Tobias Fourier on here. We'll see you in court, asshole. <laughs> it just sounds like a continuation. It sounds like more Fear Factory. Yeah. And again, it's not bad. It's on point. I mean, obviously, who's going to be like, I don't know, man, those drums, though, when, <laughs> when Gene Hoagland's <laughs> behind the kit, right? Like, nobody's going to say that. Yeah, I um, think, it. you know, part of my problem, you know... It, I'm enough of a a Hoagland fanboy that I'm like, okay, I like this one more. Well, if if Dino's back, I guess I just expected to hear more of him in the sense of like, was he what made Obsolete sound so unique? Well, he he did a lot of composition early on. I that much I do know. Actually, uh, I'm just I'm I'm having to cheat. It says that uh, Caceres and uh, Hoagland actually composed. All of this, and Burton just wrote the lyrics. Well, I mean, that's what a vocalist does. You do the least amount of work, and you're the face of the band. Take that, motherfuckers. It's a great position to be in, vocalist. (laughs) It seems like you're uh, talking from experience there, Dan. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Why don't you tell me about it? Well, (laughs) don't even get me started on guitar players and drummers. Yeesh. Especially and whenever it's people and engineers and basically the guy that does everything. Yeah, because he thinks he knows everything. It's not that I think I know everything. It's that I have the power to make my thoughts into reality. I guess my question is, was the band that put out the last two albums trying to emulate Dino's writing style? Or was he not as influential as well, he composed. advertised? Um... I think that Burton had a vision, and people have to compose to his vision. That's my initial thought. Like, Burton shows up with the grab bag and is like, look, you can use whatever's in this bag. If you use anything else, robots are going to fucking burn your house down. Right. Maybe they actually dumped out the bag and they found Gene Hoagland in the bottom of it. Don't make me get out Smasher Devourer. He's going to come after you and kill you if you don't use what's in this bag. Also, try this pork steak. (laughs) Because I think, uh, yeah, because Caceres did a lot of the uh, composition, but Burton was still, or at least on multiple albums, had his hands in the actual production of it. Yeah, I mean, it says he just wrote the lyrics, but I feel like... Well, on this one he does, but on some of the other, if you go back and look at some of the other liner notes... It was a collaborative effort. Well, no, it'll show, like, he was... Like, like a principal songwriter. Well, no, he was producer. Oh, well, okay. That, that's what I'm trying to say. So even if you're Caceres in Hoagland and you are doing the production, or I meant the composition, it's not going to matter if you don't have the final say because that's what the production is. 
You, you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, I feel you. And I think that's more of, of why there's an an overlaying overlying you know similarity in all the tones, even if all the other members are different. If Burton's got his hands in the production aspect of it, even if he isn't credited on some of the albums, but yet credited on others as a producer, I think there's a sneaking suspicion that you can say that he has his hands in production across the board. I think that's I'm pretty comfortable in saying that. It is his vision at the end of the day. I really do believe that. It has to be. If you're the only common thread. Right. Like, it, it just has to be that way. It's interesting, too, because then they put out the Industrialist, not right after, but this one kind of suffers from the last two albums in that it's a new album, but it's just another Fear Factory album. If you love Fear Factory and they're your favorite band, it's fine. However, when you have to listen to all their fucking albums in one week, it gets a little monotone everything starts kind of running together and that's how i feel about the industrialist is that like it's another fear factory album it's another fear factory album and it's it's fine it's totally fine but it doesn't push the band forward well there is one thing different i believe on this one i think all the drums are programmed on this album are they yeah i don't think it's an actual drummer on this one I'll, I'll have to double check the liner notes on this one, so I could be wrong. So if there's anybody out there that knows better than I do, because I'm just trying to pull from memory, but I'm almost positive that uh, Caceres and I can't remember the other, there's somebody else that helped with the drum programming and the, and the drum writing on this, but I don't think was actual drummer on this. Yeah, there's no drummer listed. Okay. So, I, this so is they, the got, they got Gene Hoagland for one album. And I, I tell you what, the man is better than the machine. The machine's all right. I don't think it sounded different enough to not sound like the other Fear Factory albums. But I want to be a fanboy. Okay, I mean, you love Gene Hoagland. It's fine. You can you can write him a you can a write love him a love letter. letter. You can Sweet. send him some chocolates and a heart shaped box. Well, I was gonna send him my underwear with the love letter, but okay. you can do that and make it edible underwear. That's even better. Everybody's got to eat. Mm. Gene and, Hoagland. And he's eat. a big guy. He likes to eat. Yeah, Gene Hoagland. Eat. That sounds what's, great. What's irritating what is that. What was that sound? Did you guys hear that? Oh, shit. It's, he's just activated Smasher to power. It's weird that Dino... Somebody asked her, like, hey, we've been watching you guys play live. It's really cool. But, like, you guys never play anything off of Archetype. Why not? He was like, oh, those two albums? They don't count. They're not real Fear Factory albums. Like, that's the type of animosity we're looking at here. And again, like, I feel like this is all, like, pork steaks related somehow. Like... <laughs> Dino said it, but I still feel like it's all Burton's fault. Hey, do you guys want to come to my barbecue on Saturday? I mean, I don't know. Not really, man. I don't really want to talk to you. Tim's cooking. Oh. I mean, I might check it out. The Industrialist was a record that you could buy by Fear Factory. And it has songs on it that sound like Fear Factory songs. And that's about it. And there's nothing really to be excited about about it. It's just an album that, again, is called The Industrialist, and they program the drums because this band really wants you to think that they're an industrial band. I don't hear it. But well, I got something I didn't know. No. I haven't listened to the deluxe edition. Describe your ignorance to us in detail. Uh, they have a pitch shifter cover on it. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Landfill. Interesting. Yes. Now yeah, I'm that was the first track off of uh, Industrial by Pitch the, Shifter. Yep. And this is the Industrial List. It's funny, too, because at the end of... Uh, the second Pitch Shifter album is them doing Landfill again. It's the hidden track. It's so funny. But now it's time to go on to uh, Genexus. It kind of started scratching that itch again for me. It started differently than the others did. That's probably what it is. It gave Jeff the false <laughs> hope that this one was going to be melodic, and it wasn't. It's a melodic in places. I mean, that's Fear Factory for you. For as, as cold and industrial and machine-like as they want to appear. They're no Meshuga as far as sounding like robots goes. I think you're you're actually hitting on something there. Because especially the uh, the first track gets you a little bit of a Meshuga feel. And maybe that's why I got excited. I just feel like Meshuga is just better at that emotionless sound. 
Because for as much as Fear Factory wants us to believe that they are machines or that they like to fuck machines or uh, or something like that, it's still too emotional and human. And maybe that's not the point, but like there's other times where we, we've defended it and said that it was the point. So I'm kind of confused like thematically where Fear Factory wants to be. Because what they say doesn't match up to what we actually get. I See, that's the problem with... Um with this particular album, I can't really give you a definitive reason on why I like it more than some of the others. I I, I can't. But it just it it struck me differently for whatever reason. It's different songs. And it all sounds the same really. But who knows? This one might have had a hook on it that you liked more than you heard on the last album. That's the whole thing. There's nothing wrong with this. It is absolutely serviceable as a Fear Factory record and fans of the band that love this sound have nothing to complain about and it sounds like we're shitting on Fear Factory and we're really not it's just that when you listen to all their albums in one week it all starts to sound the same doesn't mean it's bad but it's not particularly memorable either yeah I think that pretty much covers it <laughs> yeah I mean I don't there's not much else to say I mean especially since I can't actually put into words on why I like this one better if I if I had a definitive reason you sure as hell would be hearing it from me that's weird you just got a letter from uh Burton C. Bell something about pork steaks <laughs> is yes. that why you like this new album more than the other ones fuck man I love my pork yeah it's that special sauce he puts on him the Burton sauce final thoughts on Fear Factory Jeff they're a band uh, especially for Burton that thinks they're better than they really are because they are just uh, they're good but they're not great but they think they're the he thinks they're the best fucking band that's ever existed and uh, they started out great I wish they had more of their death metal roots uh you know, kept with them as the uh, time went on, because that was by far the best version of Fear Factory. But we'll see what we get. These guys are what I think Burton's in his fifties now, maybe even close to sixty now. By now, I have no idea. But I know he's in. I'm, I'm almost positive he's in his fifties. So I don't know how much more he has to give. And if he doesn't have any more, I'm actually not going to be heartbroken about it. Damn. What about you? I think Fear Factory is a cool band that talks about a lot of cool sci-fi shit. I think they have a weird dichotomy of sounding like a tough guy band, but then when you actually look at what they're saying, it's like some of the geekiest subject matter that you could come up with. And I think that's okay. I don't think they're a particularly innovative band. I think the meat of Fear Factory lies in the lyrical content more than anything else. I think it is very future thinking and very sci-fi and that's what I like about it the most even when the music isn't compelling enough to support some of it I don't think Fear Factory is anybody's favorite band but they are a band that the metal masses can enjoy there are elements of death metal thrash metal, new metal a little bit of degent later on melodic metal all throughout and the guy's got a sweet baritone singing voice. I don't really think they set the bar for anybody, but they exist alongside all these other bands that you like. If you've never listened to Fear Factory, I'm surprised. I think Fear Factory is a band that everyone has heard, but not everybody knows what band it is. Any record that you pick up by them is going to be worth listening to. So in that way... You really can't go wrong with Fear Factory. Jeff, what's your album of the week? Oh, since um, I had to read that wonderful headline, How It Feels to Be Something On by Sunny Day Real Estate. Dan, what about you? I'm going to go with The Tide and Its Takers by 36 Crazy Fists. For me, it's the self-titled Deftones. Good choice. That's a good one. I had to find my quiet place this week. I had to find my center. I had to tell everybody else to fuck off. It's not a very quiet So I just album. put Deftones on and nobody talked to me. I'm not really sure why that is. I don't know. I heard Quiet Place and I went straight to In Flames. <laughs> right. That's a great movie, by the way. Quiet Place. I haven't seen it. 
All I can think about is, please, I'm a little bitch. <laughs> God, I I actually like that album, so fuck you. I'm the monster. Take off that go go away. Whatever they take you right. <laughs> It's Jonathan Davis getting stabbed with a hot poker. <laughs> I thought that was edema. Yeah, speaking of In Flames, we had that whole tease of like, oh, is it going to be like old In Flames again? In my defense, I didn't believe it for a second. You were like trying to... I know, I know. I was like, oh, God, I please let it be back. And then like Dan pulls up this article. Uh, Nope. We're still a bunch of little bitches playing shitty music. For your 14-year-old daughter. You won't buy this album, but your 14-year-old daughter will. Yep. That's pretty much it. Oh my god, mom. Have you heard this new death metal album? <laughs> oh my god. And on that note, this has been episode 95 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money.